0: From the CIPRI Knowledge Hub and CPRIHub.org, this is Research Minutes, a deep dive into new and important research in the realm of education. I'm Michelle Goodwin. This week we're looking at school leadership and the process by which new principal candidates are evaluated and licensed.
1: The way it's been done in the past historically was done primarily by looking at what you might call inputs. People who have had three or more years of teaching experience have a teacher license and may have a master's degree or some other graduate degree in educational leadership and administration. Many states now also require a standardized assessment, typically a paper and pencil test or an online test.
0: While these methods can measure a candidate's knowledge, they don't always provide a clear picture of the candidate's skills and proficiency in key leadership areas. Now, a number of states are turning to performance-based assessments in an attempt to gather and use more authentic evidence in their evaluation of principal readiness.
1: A performance assessment is a type of assessment that requires candidates to complete authentic work that is really rooted in the area of where they want to demonstrate skills and capabilities. You have something you can show that's evidence that you have the skills and knowledge that you
0: purport to have. That's Margaret Terrior. Associate Professor of Educational Leadership Administration and Policy at Fordham University, who spent the last five years working with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts as they rolled out new performance-based assessments for school principal candidates. She is now working with school officials in California as they attempt to do the same. Listen as Orr meets with CPRI co-director and University of Pennsylvania professor Jonathan Sapovitz to discuss the results of her study and the promise of this new approach to assessment.
2: So, Terry, let me start very simply by asking what's the purpose behind licensing beginning school principals, and what are the different ways that this has been done in the field?
1: Well, the purpose of licensing candidates for school leadership positions, for the initial position, is to be able to identify people who have the qualifications to lead schools. That there has been a common set of expectations that have been outlined of what readiness looks like. And it evaluates the, it identifies those who have the minimal qualifications of readiness.
2: And so, you know, one of the things that's really exciting about the work that you've been doing is your work on developing performance assessments. In particular, you've been working for the last five years or so with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to develop a performance assessment for principal licensure. So what does that look like? What does this performance assessment look like?
1: A performance assessment is a type of assessment that requires candidates to complete authentic work that is really rooted in the area of where they want to demonstrate skills and capabilities. Performance assessments as such um, are aligned to a set of standards and expectations around where performance would exist and often has both an educative aspect, that is you learn in the doing of completing the work, as well as a demonstration aspect. You have something you can show that's evidence that you have the skills and knowledge that you purport to have.
2: What are some of the key areas that you're looking for a demonstration of skill?
1: In educational leadership, Starting with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we used their state standards of leadership as the framework. We also worked through two committees to help us in the design process to determine what the work is that would be the basis in which to make assessments. We worked with a design committee of both higher ed and K-12 educational leaders and a content validity committee, which was primarily K-12 educational leaders from the schools and districts. And the question we put forth for them was to be able to identify in the early design process what's the key areas of leadership work that could be observed. Because the big challenges are, of course, there's work leaders do that is kind of behind the scenes, everyday kind of work, but the work that's observable. The second thing that we did, and again, using the standards as a framework, was to think about among all the leadership work that's done, what are the high leverage areas of leadership work that might impact student learning the most? And we use that as the delimiter of what we might look at, because of course, you're not gonna set up assessments that look at all areas of leadership work. You have to sample, and in this sampling, we wanted to pick those areas that were most influential. What we determined was the work that was around being able to investigate a learning problem in curriculum instruction or assessment, using both quantitative and qualitative data and engaging input from others around that and be able then to not only frame the problem, but develop a plan based on analyzing what already is in place and what could be done. A second area of work is being able to take a problem of practice, such as curriculum or instructional assessment, and work with a small group of teachers on thinking through how to improve practice. And in that work, the candidate would have to, and a leader, would have to not only think about the work the group must do but how to support teachers in working as a learning community in order to gain uh, improvement in a particular area. The third is one area where leaders have a, a direct effect on instruction is through the the observation and feedback they give to individual teachers so we knew we needed a task that really framed that out well both demonstrating their ability to, to identify good instruction in areas that needed improvement as well as the skills needed to constructively provide feedback and engage teachers as a learner improving his or her practice and then finally a priority for the commonwealth of massachusetts is around family and community engagement they really see families and their community members as partners in the learning process and wanted leaders who could really think constructively about how to engage them in improving instruction. So the the work we outlined was their ability to sort of audit what is in place and where support was most needed in a particular content area or instructional problem and then to try out at least one strategy.
2: I can see so much how these are really important qualities for a incoming principal to be able to demonstrate. And I can also see how it would be hard to get at some of these things through you know, more typical uh, multiple choice assessments. Really what I think you're describing is that you're really emphasizing the validity of the assessment, that it's measuring the important things that we wanted to measure with the reliability, which is can we consistently capture this particular quality that you're trying to capture. Can you talk a little bit about how your work went about both establishing reliability and validity for the performance assessment that you were developing?
1: Yes. So this was done through a multi-stage process working with these two committees, as well as a third committee on bias review. You kind of think of this as sort of a funneling from kind of taking a broad look at the field and then coming down to the specific tasks that we thought would be the basis for it and then winnowing down even further to develop the assessment tasks that we came up with. So through the design process, we went from an open brainstorming around what's the work that's most essential that I talked about and through that arrived at these four tasks, and then through the Content Validity Committee, got their feedback on whether these were the sort of the right areas, and if it confirmed that it reflected what they thought were the high leverage areas for principals to do, and to talk through what it looks like for a beginning principal, because we had to think about what does readiness look like at an initial leadership position, not at the most exemplary, (laughs) but at a readiness level. Based on that, we then, working with both committees, brainstormed what it, what the product of the work would look like and how to make it most actionable. So those were our two requirements. For example, we didn't want a plan around how to improve learning in a particular area to be just a plan because that looks like a course paper, right? We wanted it to say, well, what's authentic in, in the work space? So we required all the candidates to get feedback from their leadership team in their schools around whether this was what they proposed was responsive to their in their setting. So they couldn't just do something in the abstract; it had to be relevant to that particular context. And we worked through on what actual data is available to them and what kinds of observation, interviews, and so forth they could that they could reasonably do. And We kept putting parameters around the size of the problem we wanted them to tackle so that they could do it within 40 or 60 hours of work from beginning to end on that particular task. To uh, close the loop, we require on all four of the tasks that they do a reflection on what were their leadership skills that they used in completing the work, and what did they learn from this, so that they had to sort of account for the standards in, in all of this. We went through this process with all four tasks, thinking about the work itself and then what the evidence would look like. Once we had that together, we then started to think about, well, how do we scale proficiency around this? If this is the the work that needs to be done and the evidence that we would collect, what would meet expectation? And that's where we would start, uh, for someone who is proficient. And then based on that, we would go up a level like, What does it mean to be exemplary? Like what goes above and beyond that a a more experienced principal might do? And then what falls below, right? What is like a partially completed one or one that doesn't show so much proficiency? And then of course, what does it look like when you've barely tried? So we, we ended up with a four-point scale on that. When we got this all done, we had written out the tasks, what's the work that's expected, and aligned it to the objectives for the task and the standards, and written the instructions for each of the tasks, and we used an online system. We had all three committees review it, the design committee, the content validity to, again, check that this really reflects the work of principles, and then a bias review, where there's language or expectations in there that might work against particular kinds of populations. We then piloted it to get at the notion of feasibility and ease of use and to get feedback from candidates and uh, scores from their vantage point, which is a kind of a different kind of validity. Do they see the alignment to the standards? Do they see the alignment to the work of the principles? And then similarly, could they do the work? right? (laughs) Because it's one thing, design something wonderful, and they say no one would cooperate, no one would give me data, or I couldn't get a teacher to observe. We made sure we could check for all of that. When we did the pilot study, candidates were asked only to complete one task. Based on that input, we went through an entire revision process. Again, we found where there was ambiguity in the scaling that made it difficult for scores, or we found that the instructions were too broad, And we got wide variability in the submittals, so we narrowed it down so we got more similar quantities of product. And then we tested the entire system. So then candidates were required by the state, they had to do all four tasks in order to get licensed without consequence. So it was free for them and there was no consequence, but they had to do it in order to get their license that year. We took the results of that. And that enabled us to test out the entire system as a whole, looking at the relationship among each of the tasks and the scores that we got from it. And that allowed us to check again on the validity of the system in terms of it working as an assessment, but then allowed us to check reliability. We had portions of it double-scored within each task, so we could check, the, you know, do these really function well? Do the rubrics work in the way we intended? We then could check the tasks to see are they distinct enough Do they hang together as a total construct around leadership, but also do they measure, contribute different components to the overall measurement of leadership? And so we found that it met both requirements. They were related but only moderately. And they had strong internal coherence as measures. Our reliability came out uh, fairly well. It was highest in, in three of the four areas. And in the one area where the reliability was less strong, it was because it was an area where we had little variability in student scores, because it was the observation feedback cycle, which we know from our programs they are most likely to emphasize in their programs so many people come in already being able to do that so you get you get less at the at the low end so based on that we then we we went through a standard setting process we used the results in order to decide what the cut scores would be that would determine eligibility for licensure so we went from our hypothetical of what we thought met expectation, and we worked with the standard setting committee for each of the tasks to review and decide, looking at samples of work that fell around the meeting expectation level, to say which of this work meets expectations, which of this work, in their estimation, which fell below. And then we came up with a numeric value that we then aggregated in a total score that the state uses as their cut score. And we also set floors. Because we thought you have to meet min- at least minimal expectation in each of, this, of the four tasks. You can't be like exemplary in one and bomb one. <laughs> you, had to, you had to at least get approaching in all four of them and then meet or exceed in three of the four.
2: So one of the things that I would imagine was a concern is whether in their preparation programs, potential candidates would have the experiences and the access to schools and to all the situations to be able to provide the information that you use to make these judgments about their levels of performance. Did that prove to be an issue?
1: You're right that that was a big concern, particularly in our design committee and particularly among the higher ed faculty. We're very concerned that candidates might not get field cooperation to do this. In particular, there was concern that the teacher unions would provide pushback around the observation and feedback cycle, because it required the candidates to both video record the teaching, because we wanted to have it be able to look at their rating of the teaching, and so we had to have the evidence, and then also to video record their feedback session with the teacher. We provided informed consent forms for everyone to use as part of this work and made it clear that this was not evaluative, but uh, developmental in its mm-hmm. emphasis. So whatever they did didn't feed into the teacher evaluation cycle was part of teacher development. In the end, we had almost no... Complaints from students around this. In, or As
2: in as, in, as in aspiring principals? Or, yes,
1: right. The candidates, almost no complaints from the candidates who said they uh-huh. couldn't do it. We would have the odd uh, exception, like the candidates who worked in um, juvenile detention centers, where there's, you know, state policy that limits right. that. But we were able to help them develop workarounds. And, in fact, by the time we got to the full implementation of this, some of the districts were now anticipating that they would have candidates doing this kind of work. And they would say, yes, I have a group of teachers I want you to work with, or I have a problem I want you to investigate for your um, performance assessment.
2: You know, just the little example that you described where they're videotaping a class and then videotaping the feedback with, with a teacher, that gives us a little window into the diversity of evidence that people might use. So what were some of the other types of evidence that people used aside from video?
1: Most of it was to produce memos and reports. But most um, of it
2: was on paper
1: then. Most of it was on paper. We would ask them to solicit feedback from teachers, like when they worked with a group of teachers, they would have to solicit their input. So some of them would provide survey results from having they collected from groups that they had worked with. They could put up artifacts to supplement their work. For example, if they created a handbook for parents or things like that, they could put it up. The challenge we had is we wanted to be sure that what was scored focused on their contribution to the work, not just the product that was generated through working with others.
2: Another thing that I I imagine might be that programs who are developing aspiring principals might be a little worried about this new system. What was their reaction?
1: We had a range of responses from programs. Some wondered why their own assessment of candidate readiness was not sufficient in the state. And what we kept emphasizing and what the policymakers kept emphasizing is there were so many different pathways to leadership that the state needed a standardized assessment that would help level the playing field in seeing who was ready and who was not. And this assessment sampled among the leadership skills that were being developed by programs rather than addressed all of them, which programs had to. The other thing that would come up with programs is it was a worry that it would move them away from their current direction. But because it was aligned to the standards, and we made an effort to align it to uh, accreditation requirements as well, uh, and gave them those crosswalks so they could see uh, how it would fit together, they often found that that it did match well with the work that they were doing. It just forced some of them to change the order in which they organized their work, For example, they often would lead courses in data collection and analysis to the end of their programs and this forced them to move it to the beginning.
2: So what's the status of the system in Massachusetts and and how many candidates take it a year?
1: Right now it is being managed by Pearson. I'm not sure how many people are going through it each year at this point. I know that the number of people who were going through it has declined over time, and I think in part that has a lot to do with increased pressure and demands on school leaders in general. And I also think there was an overproduction of people seeking licensure without the intention of becoming school or district leaders.
2: Is it now the way that people are licensed in Massachusetts?
1: Yes, it is. I mean, they have to meet the other requirements of, as we said, the the other typical inputs of having had teaching experience and having had to complete a program or other state-approved pathway to leadership. So they have to have some other foundation of work that, in which a local entity validated their readiness and then this assessment.
2: I think sometimes people are concerned about the relative cost of paper and pencil assessments versus more authentic performance assessments. Um, How much does this cost?
1: I'm not sure what the cost is today, but when we we did it last year, it was $500 for the assessment. You pay to start the assessment so that it's open-ended. You can complete it at any time, up to over a two-year period. So it's not like a regular test where you show up one day and you take the test that day. In New York State, which we use as a comparison, students take an eight-hour constructed response and multiple-choice test. And it also costs $500. Yeah,
2: so it's, it's roughly similar. Another thing that, that is really striking about this is that this isn't just an assessment, but it's, it's a learning opportunity <laughs> for the candidates.
1: It is a very powerful learning opportunity. We'd collected feedback from the candidates about the extent to which it was, and many of them found that it really pushed them into doing much more authentic leadership work. Than they had been required to do in their coursework and sometimes even in their field work because they had to lead a group of teachers in making improvements. They had to investigate practices around family and community engagement and launch some kind of solution. It also gave them something to take with them when they went forward, like for job interviews and things like that, because they could demonstrate work that they had completed.
2: I understand that you are shifting gears to a a bigger state, the state of California, and that you've started to work with California to develop a performance assessment for, for principal licensure there. How does that look similar or different to the system that you and your colleagues developed for Massachusetts?
1: It's very similar because they tried to build on what happened in Massachusetts. I have to also say California has uh, had a deep com- deep commitment to performance assessments, having done it for about 20 years around for teacher licensure. As a state, they were already accustomed to that kind of assessment experience. They worked closely with Pearson there on, bo- on redoing their teacher assessment and then launching their performance assessment for, for um, principal. There were a couple differences in California. They wanted to adapt these so they could be used both formatively and summatively, so they wanted to have a feedback loop built into the process. They have a tiered licensure system, uh, Tier 1 and Tier 2, and Tier 1 is more comparable to like an assistant principal level, and so they didn't want to have all four tasks. So they picked just the first three that we used in Massachusetts. They did not pick the one related to family and community engagement. They had uh, like a 15-member design committee that was primarily from higher education, Um, And like Massachusetts, people can come in through different kinds of program pathways, not just university-based, but also sponsored by consortium and associations. In their process, they looked at their own state standards in relationship to this, and those standards had been recently redone, and agreed on those same three content areas, as I mentioned, as Massachusetts had, and then agreed on the way it was structured with one exception. Rather than focusing on the efficacy of the candidate to be able to observe and identify quality teaching, they put the emphasis on the feedback and coaching that a candidate could pro- could provide to an individual teacher. They adjusted that task accordingly. But they found that they, like Massachusetts, the, the work was very flexible and adaptable to a variety of settings, both urban, rural, and suburban, and small and large schools and districts.
2: So where where are you in the process in California?
1: So in California, they were able to go through a rapid uh, design process because so much work had already been done in Massachusetts and they went right into developing, they call them cycles rather than tasks. They developed their three cycles and launched them in a pilot study within a year. And then they are now, following that, they went through the revision process to work out the bugs again, based on looking at feasibility and ease of use and the validity feedback they got. And now they're in the process of doing the field trial. And then they're gonna go have an implementation year without consequence to come up next year. So the early results have been very, very positive uh, from the candidates and the program coordinators and their scorers. And the results parallel what we found in Massachusetts.
2: It's interesting that each successive state can build upon the experiences of the last one and reduce, essentially, their their development costs.
1: Yes, and because of that, because they work with a voluntary design committee, the real costs are with the vendor that is going to be actually managing the assessments, and often they will put the effort in to get the assessments designed before setting it up to charge the fees. So it really keeps their costs way down.
2: Harry, this has been a fascinating adventure of understanding an authentic way to do licensure, and I can really see how this really, really does a much potentially better job of, of capturing the important qualities that we want our incoming principals to have. So this is really important work. Thank you so much for sharing with us today.
1: You're welcome. And I have to say we are looking ahead to being able to look at the impact this has on the field after people have been in positions a couple of years to see if, in fact, they do come in feeling better prepared and are able to stay longer and do better work to improve schools.
0: Thanks for listening to Research Minutes, presented by CPRE Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, visit us at cprehub.org. That's cprehub.org. To share your thoughts on today's episode or suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at cprehub. We look forward to you joining the conversation.